Kari, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Arabic for to the encounter or until we meet again, because, oh. hey, it's the last race of the season and the last regular podcast of the year. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Good. Considering how long a year it is, I feel like usually by this stage, I'm, a, I'm, I'm you know, two podcasts ago, I was getting a little bit a little bit weary of the season of these long podcasts we record every week. You know, there was a there was a season there where we did it every other race or every two weeks. I forget. Um, but sometimes it can drag a little bit because it's a lot of work. But not at one stage during this season did it ever feel that way. What a weird year! It's the longest podcast season we've ever had. It just kept going. Uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the Christmas break, but I'm. Uh, I'm going to miss racing, but it doesn't look like we've that long to go until the new season anyway. Speaking of the holiday spirit, Rob Zachney is joining us as well. How are you, Rob? Uh, doing my best. We'll see if my dog lets me complete a sentence or a thought anywhere during this podcast. So far, things do not look good. Is she excited for the Christmas? Is that it? I see you've got, you've got a tree in your background on our Discord call. It's looking very festive there. Yeah, she um she doesn't trust the tree actually. She has like <laughs> she under watching watching her watch us decorate the tree was interesting because you could see in her little dog brain she knew something important was happening. She was trying to work out if it was something she should worry about or if it was something that like had immediate implications for Mina. Neither of which was the case. And so uh, once she realized that there wasn't going to be like treats put out, uh, nor that the tree would become a mortal threat, she kind of lost interest in the in, in the entire thing. Um, and now she's just back to demanding attention and peanut butter. Beautiful. Same as all of us. Uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you are new to Formula One itself, we have got an episode specially for you. Uh, our preseason primer episode assumes you know nothing about Formula One. To the bitter and if you end, go back, That's right. You never know when people are going to pop in. So if you want to go back and listen to uh, that episode, which tells you who everybody is and how the sport works and everything, and then listen to an entire season of Formula One podcasts, Good point. Uh, maybe watch it along. Um, with us, then you can go do that. That's episode 96. Uh, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. This is not the very last podcast of the year however because there's still a patreon episode coming up what is going on this month danny yeah this time tomorrow we will be shaking and baking for our december patreon exclusive podcast a review of the famous formula one <laughs> uh, indycar nascar nascar it's sorry NASCAR. Uh, movie <laughs> talladega nights um yeah it should be should be a lot of fun that one it's got a that that one has a prominent american character and a prominent european character in it as well so uh much like this podcast looking forward to it it's definitely a film i think with a strong grasp on the respective cultures of nascar and formula one <laughs> uh really like totally in our wheelhouse truly a racing movie uh don't question it we did cars recently so you know <laughs> Maybe Dude, isn't the weirdest one. Cars is Rush compared to this. Okay, Cars <laughs> is the Senna documentary compared to this. <laughs> uh, today, however, we will be discussing the final race of the 2020 Formula One season, <laughs> such as it is. 
uh, such as it was. Um, so not a, I have 12 bullet points here. Oh, boy. Well, you could oh. say we had our last race a week ago, and uh-huh. then we had Abu Dhabi. And then we had a formality. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about in this episode that's, that's not the race, so... Um, Let's just uh, maybe breeze right on through this like a like a hot wind blowing across the desert. Max Verstappen <laughs> takes pole position, which is kind of a um, the the one surprise here for uh, the 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 weekend. His first pole position since Brazil 2019. Um, also, something happened I had never seen before during uh, qualifying. He's turning his wheel and his hand gets stuck on the inside of the cockpit. I don't know if you've looked closely at the cockpit, but like there's a little groove, like a knuckle-shaped groove in the uh where the cockpit goes from, you know, transitions from inside to outside for the driver's hands to to clear because they're actually kind of closed in, so they need a, a divot for their hands to to be able to turn the wheel and not get stuck. <laughs> but for some reason his hand gets caught on that and like for a half second he's driving toward a wall. Um, yeah, I've, I've never seen that, but uh, I guess it's understandable because it is a pretty tight clearance. Yeah, there was a si- si- similar problem. Sorry, Rob, with um, uh, Hamilton's uh, refitted car because it was the Russell car uh, previously, and he, I think, on his outlap during P one, I think um, he had to come back in because there was a problem. The brake pedal was basically like stuck on braking. <laughs> okay, better than the reverse, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think something I clearly don't imagine enough is just the ergonomic nightmare that is an f1 cockpit uh i didn't realize until i saw that video of like max getting his hands caught a little bit that like oh there is so little clearance that just having your hands on the wheel is a thing you have to think about i guess at times like oh did you you know did you crank the crank the wheel over too much where your knuckles just like standing out enough that it caught you do not like when i imagine driving i don't fully imagine how truly claustrophobic these cockpits probably are likewise i was i was stunned to realize that you know they couldn't properly refit that mercedes to russell um there just physically wasn't enough space to do that and so he was driving that thing uh you know a bit like it was a clown car in in some ways (laughs) yeah um and And you just bleeding and like yeah it it just sounds awful and the realization that like no you can't they can't it's not like you can pull the you know hamilton seat out and put in a different like <laughs> slightly like better fitted seat there's just not physically space in the car uh to to make a go of that so yeah it's um you know not that i was under any other under any illusions about my capacity to fit inside a formula 1 car but i guess uh you know it's 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 probably even more of a uh you know tiny little tub like environment than i imagined <laughs> Yeah, I I mean they I've heard of drivers um because their cars are like the usually the seats are molded to their bodies um and they have been basically designed around them that they're they're so comfortable and they're so form fitting that they sometimes fall asleep in their cars uh, and you know when you're driving a formula 1 car you're almost laying down like your body it's not like you're sitting up straight um but I, I think Brundle said something during this qualifying session that was like you know F1 aerodynamicists consider the drivers as an inconvenience, you know, uh, to to their beautiful car design. But yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a fun where uh, where the rubber meets the road reality of um, of racing. Uh, f- let's see this rounding out the top three here. Valtteri Bottas in second, just barely pips 
um, or is pipped by Verstappen, and then Lewis Hamilton in third. Uh, still, should be said, recovering from yeah. COVID. And uh, sounded he like apparently it. Had a his, rough his radio time. messages sound a little rough, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and he, he said he wasn't one hundred percent right. And also, the car was having—I guess it comes up more in the race—but the car was having some sort of an issue that basically had them ratcheted back slightly. I'm sure they didn't for quali. Maybe, maybe no, it I had some they, residual I think they had problems. To, I think they had to at the start. Like I think this whole weekend right. they're running with a slight compromise. I think it was the MGUK right uh, setup yeah. that had been altered to like make it make them more confident the car could could make it to the end. Um, which I think is maybe another reason why Yas Marina tends to turn out slightly maybe subpar races is also that just the way F1 is regulated right now, you got a lot of parts on these cars in entering the end of their predicted life uh, yeah. as they hit this race. And, you know, if, if you're looking for Mercedes to bring their A game uh, at this one, doesn't sound like they, they really could. And they were kind of in a damage control mode the entire weekend. Yeah, it's a way to get you know get knockouts in the twelfth round of a fight. You know, it's kind of by that stage you're you're waiting till the to, to get to get those parts past the finish line. Especially in the case where we had you know we talked last week about the constructor championships with that that midfield pack or the fight for third, where the big difference would be if somebody didn't make make it to the end. Like that could be the swing, um, in points that would would win or lose somebody all that, uh, glory. Yes, it could, Danny. Uh, but let's finish off the grid here. <laughs> Lando Norris in fourth, followed by Alex Albon, Carlos Sainz, Daniel Kvyat saying it is what was one of his best ever qualifying laps to put him in seventh place on the grid. Uh, Lance Stroll in eighth, followed by Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon rounding out the top 10 behind him. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, Charles Leclerc in 12th, qualified ninth, but was penalized three grid places for causing that collision with Perez in the last race. Um, Sebastian Vettel lines up 13th, followed by Antonio Giovinazzi, Kimi Raikkonen, George Russell, Pietro Fittipaldi, Nicholas Latifi, and then uh, Sergio Perez and Kevin Magnussen, both of whom were required to start from the back of the grid for use of additional power unit elements. Uh, Pietro Fittipaldi filling in again for uh, Roman Grosjean, who um, is recovering back in Switzerland uh, from those burns sustained in Bahrain. Just had surgery, I think, yesterday on him. Yeah. Another one on his on his left hand. Um, so yeah, that's the grid. Danny, do you want to take us through the start? Sure. Whenever I'm watching the first lap of these race, I'm always like, oh, I wonder what I'll get to get to talk about um, on the next episode of Shift F1, a podcast to beat about speed race cars. Uh, I don't know if one car changed position during this whole lap, Drew, because they all got off the the start. Verstappen defended well. It's not the it's not the most difficult corner in the world, first corner in the world to defend from. Generally here at Abu Dhabi, if we have contact, it's in the middle of the pack when they sort of concertina up a little bit because it's also not a very slow corner. So it's not like they're all breaking and all accelerating out. They're kind of taking it at like mid-range and approaching it as fast, not as fast as they would during race pace. So what you tend to get as drivers either you know, bumbling into each other or escaping out of the um, fairly sizable runoff that exists on the outside of turn one uh, on the right-hand side of this uh, uh, anti-clockwise track. Um, None of that happened either. Everyone was fine. 
Verstappen got through great. Bottas was fine. Uh, Verstappen, if anything, the, the biggest shock of the first lap was how much of a gap that Max managed to push out uh, on the two Mercedes. We know Bottas often has a little bit of trouble over those first couple of turns on an opening lap, getting a little bit of temps in the tires. It's kind of his thing. Happened in Bahrain, happened in Sakir. Um, but yeah, this time, uh, Hamilton was in a similar spot. He wasn't exactly gobbling up Bottas either. The, they were kind of behind and... It was kind of a microcosm for the race. Nobody crashed into each other. Everyone's kind of in their spot. And weirdly enough, the Mercedes are having a bit of trouble catching up with Max. I did. Uh, sorry, just go ahead, one Rob. thing. I did kind of wonder watching this, though. I feel like the last race as well, and maybe the last couple, um, you alluded to it. Botas having problems getting good exit from corners uh, of late. And this seemed to become a real issue toward the end of the season. I do wonder if there's been sort of an endemic and growing problem with the with the Mercs uh, and their hardware as this year has gone on. Because I do not remember, like, there have been various forms of Botas having, like, little bobbles in his game. But, like, just the lack of exit from the corners seemed new. Mm-hmm. And that's not really a challenging part of... That's not really a challenging part of anyone's game, right? Like, um, you know, you're either applying power on time or not, but it, it just seemed like the power wasn't always there on command uh, for Botas. And at this point now, it seemed like neither of the Mercedes fully had uh, power, you know, at their at, at their fingertips. And that just exacerbated a problem that we've already had ample time to observe, which is that this is not an overtaking machine. Uh, once the mm. Mercedes are buried back in the pack... They've got their work cut out for them a little bit. Uh, I did see some um, replays after the race, I think, from uh, Magnuson on the opening lap. He did get by a few He had a good view of the rest of the race. In the back of the grid, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the, the action for most of this race was just characterized by some DRS passes. Um, lap two, Gasly over Ocon for ninth. Lap six, Albon over Norris for fourth. Uh, lap nine, Gasly over Kvyat for eighth. Um, and then the next item here, lap 10. Uh, boy, from, from hero to zero, uh, Sergio Perez, uh, his car stops working. Uh, his steering wheel flashes oil kill. Uh, and he has to pull to the side of the road that was just the uh, american tires. foreign policy uh sort of mission <laughs> just weirdly enough just appeared there right um but uh, yeah as you mentioned danny this is the uh the end of the season when uh, when parts start to fail yeah um we get a virtual safety car and then that turns into a safety car uh and we do get a lot of pits except from ricardo that'll uh, and Leclerc, who... Well, Ricardo and Vettel are on hard. Leclerc is on medium, but I guess um, they're all hoping to capitalize on their harder tire advantage and extend. Yeah. Um, but for that to work, either your hard tire has to last for a long time, um, which is not a given on this track, uh, or you are going to need another safety car or something weird to be able to give you the same advantage or a better one than everybody else just got. Uh, otherwise, you're pitting under green and losing time because everybody else just yeah, pitted under the, safety it's, car. It's the dreaded early pit, early safety car where it's 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 not good for them because it's 
you know, it's earlier than they'd like because it's before the pit window opens up. And it's also not early enough for us where it's going to really shake up the pack. It kind of makes everyone drive a little bit more conservatively. Like, we love those late safety cars because it basically means lots of people are going to... Some people were off strategy now or they're on new rubber. It's it's sort of interesting. I always feel like this has more of a, of a um, downing effect on the excitement. Um, and especially on a track like this where... I don't think safety cars are all from crashes are all that common here. I, I I'm trying to remember instances where that was the case. I think a few of them have. We've had a few safety cars here. Um, we had Hulkenberg upside down at the first lap right. last year, right? Um, but I'm struggling to really think. There's been crashes here and there's been incidents, but like there's so much runoff and so many escape roads on this thing that yeah, I feel like we don't have that type of. Uh, protracted there was a little bit of worry that there might have been a bit of oil off paris's car as well but that didn't seem to actually no. materialize um the the thing that it also does for these hard tire runners is that they haven't gotten any advantage by using the hard tire yeah like everybody else like people who have started on softs got a great advantage because they you know even if their soft tires don't last very long they still had soft tires to start with and so they were really fast your hard tire only you know it takes a lot of laps for it to become good and then if you get the early safety car then nothing yeah you're kind of uh it's a it's a, a double-edged sword yeah um so yeah not doesn't look it's a it's an outside risk for these guys i'll say uh we do get a restart though on lap 14 and nothing oh, really happens nothing, no actually almost <laughs> i would say that actually what's shocking about this one is once again, how fast Verstappen gets away from Bottas. Yes. Faster this time, actually. And I think we often talk about Bottas having a little bit of trouble on those restarts and Hamilton being really good at getting away. And Max showed that he's also very good at like picking the right time uh, to bolt. Um, but by the time they were on that first DRS, you know, the, the back straight, like what is it after turn six or something? Like he was he was gone. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was something else. Um yeah. Uh, Signs did get Leclerc for eighth place without DRS. He had a really good run and um, managed nice. to defend after that. Um, then Gasly continuing to pass people. Uh, he's involved in, let's see, three of my notes here. Uh, gets Stroll for ninth place on lap 30. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that, that late race safety car never comes. So Ricardo has to pit under green on lap 40. Yeah. Um, from fifth place, rejoining uh, with medium tires in seventh, so not too bad. Uh, those new tires do give him the fastest lap, however, and that's where my notes end. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that once Perez was out, Force India's sorry, Force India, <laughs> Racing Points, um, you know, chance to to nip third was kind of scuppered at that stage right they've just lost well, it was all up to stroll basically yeah who's who's gonna uh, have to you know win the race <laughs> right <laughs> at this stage and hope everyone else crashes um you know he was struggling getting into that top 10 and then of course this entire time you had the two mclarens who qualified so well and were uh you know ahead of them was was two mercedes and two red bulls and they had loads of pace on ricardo uh, and everyone else behind them. So the, the only way they were going to 
have a bit of trouble is if there was a safety car and they got overtaken, they crashed into each other, (laughs) you know, trying to battle each other, which is never going to happen given the scenario that we're looking at here where they're trying to secure a third position. You know, flashbacks to the documentary series where they were at the bottom of the grid a few years back. Um, So really, you know, an act of God is going to have to stop them from from grasping third about halfway through this race. And uh, there is no God, so it never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Max Verstappen (laughs) wins the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix from pole position. Uh, I believe his second win of the year. I saw a stat saying he got one sixth place and then everything else has either been a podium uh, or a DNF, which is pretty wow. amazing. Um, Valtteri Botas came home in second, and then Lewis Hamilton rounded out the podium. Just behind them, Alex Albon ran a solid race, uh, doing, I think, everything in his power to keep his seat for next year. We shall see. Mm. Uh, and then Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz in fifth and sixth, both McLarens up here. Um, and with Perez's retirement. Almost half a lap behind Albon. Worth meant. That's true. <laughs> yes, plus sixty seconds to the leader. Oh, um, wow. Both McLarens. Uh, yes, with those positions mean that McLaren jumps racing point to third in the constructors' championship by seven points. Amazing. Uh, Daniel Ricardo does finish in seventh with the fastest lap. Pierre Gasly in eighth. Esteban Ocon in ninth, and Lance Stroll rounding out the points, paying positions. That, ha- uh, that just must behind. absolutely kill them. It's just oh. Yeah. It was such an outside chance of Perez being stuck at the back anyway, but that's that's a killer. Yeah. Uh, especially the the millions of dollars that <laughs> it means in the stand, standings for the the championship, the constructors championship. Um Daniel Kvyat in 11th followed by Kimi Raikkonen, Charles Leclerc, Sebastian Vettel uh capping off Ferrari's worst season in 40 years when they got Ooh. 10th place in the championship in 1980. Uh, they also never led a lap this season, something that hasn't happened since 1992. Uh, but yeah, Sebastian Vettel, last time in a Ferrari, uh, he sang a song to the team. He like wrote himself. It was uh, bizarre. Think, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, you should in, in Italian. He sung a song about Ferrari and how much he loves them in Italian that he wrote himself. Yeah, you can actually see him in the uh, in the replay. Like he pulls off his glove Gloves. and then like reaches inside his overalls to find the lyrics to the song. And oh, was that like, what he did? Like, I was yeah. wondering why he took his gloves off. I was like, I've never seen human hands on a wheel before. Yeah, it's very good. I'll link. Yeah, that you should check it out, Rob. It's really something else. It's very strange. Fifteenth uh, place: George Russell, Antonio Giovinazzi, uh, Nicholas Latifi, Kevin Magnussen, Pietro Fittipaldi, and then Sergio Perez. With the only DNF of the race. Lots of farewells as well. We had Magnussen doing donuts. We had the Mercedes yes. doing their usual donuts on the pit straight. It wasn't that long ago where they used to give out there for doing donuts. And now it's okay, which I'm glad. Um, yeah, Magnussen had his little uh, spin rooney and and the two Mercedes did and pointed at each other and did a little team photograph for first and second because, of course, Bottas claimed second position. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what other farewells we had. I guess we had Ricardo as well, um, mm-hmm. leaving Renault. Signs um, going to Ferrari. That, by the way, that, that's mm. been a successful stint overall, right? Like, I think a year ago, I was like, well, Ricardo jumped onto a sinking ship, but it feels like that ship's righted. This is one of those weird yeah. cases where I'm like, oh, wow. So both parties seem to get exactly what they wanted out of that. 
Um, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. You're given looking back on it. Yeah, I think that his expertise perhaps brought them along in the way that they were hoping. But I mean, that first season was a real shocker. So yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to yeah. They did they did really well this year. Yeah, I imagine Ricardo would have gotten more points if he'd stayed with Red Bull, but. Again, with Verstappen, who knows, right? Yeah, what about, yeah more um, points, less happy. I mean, like, ask Mark Webber right. about how good being runner-up <laughs> at uh, at Red Bull tends to feel. Mm. Yeah. Multi-21, Seb. Uh, but yeah, let's run down the championship standings at the end of the year, shall we? Mercedes, of course, in the constructors on top uh, with 573 points. Red Bull's in second, second with 319. And as mentioned, McLaren uh, finishes in third with 202 to racing points 195, a difference of seven. Uh, Renault comes home in fifth with 181. Ferrari in sixth with 131. Alpha Tauri with 107. And then a big old jump back to eighth place <laughs> with Alpha Romeo uh, and eight. There are eight points. Gene Haas and team finish the season with three and Williams with Boy. zero. The only way is up for Haas. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess they can. Well, let's wait for news. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, in the drivers' championship, Lewis Hamilton, of course, has secured the drivers' championship a few races ago with 347 points. He ends the season. Valtteri Bottas in second with 223. Max Verstappen just nine points behind with 214. Ooh. If Bottas uh, hadn't finished this race, he would have oh, lost yeah. third. So he would, yeah. Yeah, or in like, you know, seventh place or something. Yeah, wild. Um, Sergio Perez finishes in fourth with 125 points. He's not driver that nobody wants him. He's just kind of (laughs) shit, you know. (laughs) Just go do some other racing, you know. He's not that good. Leave him off. (laughs) Uh, And just uh, six points behind him, Daniel Ricciardo in fifth place. Carlos Sainz and Alex Albon both have 105 points, uh, but with tiebreakers, Carlos Sainz takes the sixth. Alex Albon takes the seventh. Um, Charlotte Claire just edges out Lando Norris for eighth place with 98 points to Norris's 97. Pierre Gasly and Lance Stroll again tie, but uh, Pierre wow. takes the 10th place with uh, 75 points. Lance Stroll in 11th. And we've got Esteban Ocon in 12th with 62. Sebastian Vettel with 33. One point behind him is Daniel Kvyat in 14th. And guess who? 15th place, he did Nico it. Hulkenberg. He did, he did it. it. He hung the on. madman did it. With 10 points to his name, uh, followed by Kimi Raikkonen with four, tied with Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, George Russell in 18th with three from his uh, Mercedes outing. Um, Roman Grosjean uh, finished the season with two, Kevin Magnussen with one, and then we have Nicholas Latifi, Jack Aitken, and Pietro Fittipaldi with zero. Then the last, uh, I guess, numbers part for me, that I think is important is uh, the qualifying battles for the season. Did you guys take a look at this? No. Okay, good. Let me just tell it to you then. Get your live reacts. Okay, here we go. Uh, so, I mean, your, your number one thing that you need to do as an F1 driver is beat your teammate, right? Because the, the theory goes you have identical cars, and so that's the first person you need to beat. Um, and it's the the... the you know, clearest indicator of your skill. And uh, it can be illuminating, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, so these Max are Verstappen, what, the head-to-heads? 
These are head-to-heads. How many times did you out-qualify your teammate? Like, nothing is ever going to be completely equal, but in a qualifying session, it's one lap. Did you get faster than your teammate? Um, Verstappen crushed Albon, 17 to 0. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, which I... I didn't remember. <laughs> I wasn't tracking that. It's, it's still kind of surprising to see. Uh, Russell, I did know about. He he beat uh, Latifi 16 to nothing. Um, also, Ricardo beat Ocon 15 to 2. Not so, Yeah, Ocon had such a also-ran season. Yeah, like, I was I was frankly expecting more from, from him. Yeah. It's... His head might be on the chopping block next year. Yeah, I mean, my, my hope is that some of this comes down to... Being out of the sport for a year, and F1 is such mm. a bigger deal than it used to be because they're so stingy with cockpit time uh, uh, in modern F1. Um, so it's not like you have people on deck who are like ready to, you know, it's not a real understudy type job where you're doing the same mm. job and you're ready to step in. So I am hoping at least that being out of the car for a year and then coming from a different car entirely, um, that this was kind of, you know, uh, growing growing pains for for Ocon mm. but yeah I think a lot of us certainly like by the time of his, the end of his stint at Force India I was like this guy's the shit like th- this guy yeah. just needs a good ride and a good opportunity and he's gonna do fantastically well um I did not see him getting schooled by Ricardo like this and Ricardo's a good driver but I do not consider him one of those like Jordan like greats who's like you know Rise on Detra is to destroy his teammate uh, first. Yeah. So Ocon getting beat like beat, beat like a drum like this is concerning, and I'm I'm real curious what happens when Alonso, who's famously brutal on teammates, uh, mm. shows up there. Yeah. Well, Ricardo, yeah. I feel like it was always a he's more of a race day driver than a quality driver. You know. Um. So if you know, you often get the op- like Russell's the opposite, right? Perhaps he does qualities really well and then struggles a bit in race. Um. But yeah. Uh, who else we got? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it depends on the car, I guess. Um, next one, not very surprising. Perez outqualified Stroll eleven to three. Hmm. Um, and then we've got Gasly versus Kvyat, uh, which are, is actually the same as Leclerc versus Vettel, thirteen to four. Ooh. Um, probably so, most uh, surprising on the Ferrari side, although yeah. I, who knows what's going on there uh hamilton botas 11 to 5 mm. which feels about right to me i guess again i would have expected botas to have been a little more competitive than that like in my head yeah. i'm like botas pipped a fair number of but when i think about it no he gets a lot of best times in like q2 but i suppose when you're when the chips are down q3 it has been pretty generally hamilton uh, finding those last second uh, clutches. Yeah. Um, from there, though, the the races are much closer. Grosjean to Magnussen, seven to eight. Very close. Well, yeah, for those prime positions down the bottom. <laughs> I mean, hey, man, you've got the same <laughs> the same car uh, against uh, you know Formula Two cars. They'd be on top. So, <laughs> um, Giovinazzi and Raikkonen, uh, eight uh, nine to eight. In favor of Giovinazzi. Yeah. Wow. I had totally yeah. missed that uh, Giovinazzi had staunched the bleeding that well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, 
I feel like he doesn't show up in races at all. I mean, the car's not great. Like, yeah, he has he has like incredible first laps. Like this, like watching his in car from first Mm -hmm. lap tends to be real good. I just don't follow along with his races enough to know where the pace begins to go away. But I, I do think you're right, Danny. Like. If you're in a mediocre car like that, it's kind of all bets are off. I, I have a very hard time feeling out whose form is better on the uh, Alfa Romeo team and on the Haas team at this point. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I'm, I just kind of like I look back there and I'm like, yep, seems seems like another rough week. And then uh, the last one here, Norris nine signs eight. Maybe Lando very should be going close. to Ferrari. <laughs> Very close. It was less than a tenth in in qualifying uh, this weekend. So wow, pretty good, pretty pretty good. Uh, and that was Abu Dhabi. That was it. Should we talk about the news? Let's, yes. Let's get let's into this. It. Something lighthearted for Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I wasn't here last week, um, and I think this hadn't even happened when we recorded. No. Uh, but one of Haas's new drivers, uh, the newly promoted uh, Nikita Mazepin, decided to post something to his social media, uh, which was a picture, uh, a video of him uh, sexually assaulting a woman in a car. Um, he posted a video where, like, for like, I haven't seen the video, but the description is kind of like for the lols. He reaches in from the front seat. Uh, to grope the chest of a woman in the back seat, she flips him off. Uh, the video ends, but it's clearly a unwelcome and non-consensual non-consens- uh, physical encounter uh, between between the two individuals, and uh, it's clearly Mazepin in the wrong. And the video has since been deleted from social media, uh, but obviously, this is pretty unacceptable behavior by you know, any yardstick and certainly by what you'd expect from athletes in formula one. Uh, it's well below the accepted standards of behavior. And yet, um, it appears to be, it appears like Mazepin is going to be immune from the consequences of this because Mazepin is backed by a lot of money from his father's company and the Haas F1 team needs money very, very badly. And so Mazepin, despite having done something that I think would be career ending in a number of sports. Um, and, and I'm not naive here. Like if you're good enough, I, I, I suspect that there'd be allowances made for this pretty much anywhere uh, in the sporting world. But Mazepin is somebody who, and, and you guys can speak more to this. This is actually not, really a shocker that this is a dude who would do something like this yeah this is totally within his i mean you know we talked about the it's been a couple of years okay but there was the incident where he basically decked callum eilat gave him a a black eye um after a race uh we talked last week about his behavior on track you know the result there was a quote i think drew said a couple of weeks back about him saying like he'll effectively do anything to to win a race regardless of you know putting himself or others in danger um but he showed that in f2 in the feature race uh, a couple of weeks back and was given four (laughs) strikes i think against him uh post race so yeah it's yeah i saw the repost of the video where the gracefully thankfully somebody 
blurred the 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 victim's face but yeah it's just he's just a prick like he just he there's nothing about you know sometimes people just kind of show you who they are and he just looks like a rich kid who's had everything given to him in, in life and has no you know emotional maturity or st- you know kindness in him i don't know i think this is a really bad look for Haas. um there's no shortage of drivers with money out there um you know probably not the same amount of money that nikita mazepin's father um managed to you know hoard at some stage during the past couple of you know decades of of russia's very uh questionable um you know movement into, into free market capitalism i think uh i think this is is a real i this this is the red flag that's getting warned before they really have him sign like he signed but we're months away from testing um i guess there was the the testing on this weekend that he wasn't there at for but apparently unrelated reasons but it's going to be really weird next year because you essentially have two young drivers coming in one of whom is the son of a you know, regardless of how competitive Michael Schumacher was, he is, re- you know, pretty well regarded and liked within F1. It's a famous name, perhaps the famous, most famous name in F1, um, I think, including Senna. I think if you talk to a lot of people in the West, um, Schumacher is a, is a name that means a lot. Um, who's a really nice kid. Mick seems like a really nice guy. And Nikita Mazepin is like a cartoon villain. <laughs> and I, And it's going to be crazy to see you know, what they're like. And all things considered, I think Magnussen and Grosjean were sensible guys. Like, they had their bouts, but when it came to, even in Drive to Survive in that season, they they quashed the beef. They were able to, like, be adults about it. And I think it might get really ugly next year at Haas. Um, And I don't, I don't want to see this kid in racing anyway because I think there's better, there's better drivers in F2 as well. Like, he's not... You know, he's not in the top three drivers this year at all. And uh, we'll see if Yuki makes it over. But it's a, uh, yeah, it's a bad look and, and it just sucks. And he, he seems like not a nice person by any sort of standard. And he's shown that for years. Yeah, I I think the more direct driver comparison maybe is Max Verstappen, who's also had a, a series of, you know. But like, I feel like Max, Max, I think is is just, you know, I think Max is like all Max does is drive. Like his whole life is driving, and his dad, he has he is a strong character, right? He's confident and he strong has a strong character. And I think when it comes to like, you know, the he'd rather the world of politics not apply to drivers, right? That's not it. He doesn't care. He has no knowledge of it. He doesn't really care. He's he, he was born to drive, and he drives. And people can get out of his way because he's the best driver, and he's kind of proved that in a lot of ways as well. Nikita Mazepin comes across as like. First of all, he's his jerk level is turned from like Max's like Max is like a nice guy until he's angry. Mazepin seems to be like just a garbage a, a, human. Yeah, just a bad dude, right? And he's also not as good a driver, and he has no patience. So yeah. I, I think I think I think Max Verstappen is whenever we talk about who the bad boy is in F1, Max gets it by default because he's maybe every once in a while says something that's a little bit out of place, but I don't think he's all that bad a guy. I think he's just kind of, you know, young and confident and brash and all that stuff. Right. I don't, but I think Mazepin's going to make everyone look like angels next year. Well, yeah, it's there's, there's between these like two online edge Lord 
that Max <laughs> is uh, frequently, and then an actual creep, uh, which Mazepin, like, did you post this on social media, right? Like, this this is the other thing, yeah. is it's also one of those those things where, like, wh- what's this shit do? What, what does this guy, what does someone like this do? Uh, that he doesn't post to social media. You know, what What does he think is acceptable behavior or behavior that he can at least get away with uh, when the cameras aren't rolling? Uh, th- on top of that, you have the element of if you wanted to completely demonstrate this guy that he's beyond consequences, this yes. would be the incident yeah. that, that cements it. Uh, and so you can have Steiner, as he did this week, saying that, you know, Haas takes this incredibly seriously and they'll deal with it in-house. You can't deal with this in-house. This is not an in-house matter. Like, this isn't he got into a workplace dispute with an engineer at Haas or something. That you can handle in-house. This is somebody posting an assault video to YouTube or, or whatever. Like, that isn't an in-house thing. That is a code of conduct across the sport kind of thing. And I think it it does also illustrate the degree to which F1 still remains a bit of a decentralized sport of fiefdoms uh, because in a lot of other uh, leagues, certainly in the American uh, sports league model, there's often a commissioner or, a, or just a general like standards of conduct, uh, you know, part uh, agreement as part of the uh, contract with players unions that address things like this because mm. American sports have had to start addressing th- like things like this more aggressively in the last few years. This would be a case where if you had somebody in that uh, like Adam Silverish type role to sort of, you know, come in not as the team, but just as the sport saying like, hey, we need to put a hold on this contract and evaluate what happened here. Rob, the FIA has condemned it as well. <laughs> oh, they condemned us. They, oh, they yeah. condemned us. Yeah, I mean, you know, a a statement (laughs) to the press, uh, an email blast is just as good as as, as real consequences. So they're going to have to really condemn it when, like, when Mazepin does something stupid on track and almost yeah runs his teammate off the road and into a wall. Like what? And I and I don't like you know I don't beyond reproach now. Yeah, and exactly like he completely. Can you imagine how like uh, you know. I don't think it's unfair to imagine how untouchable you must feel if you're like, you know, multi-billionaire fa- Belarusian businessman father. Like, like, just imagine what just it was a, like. Sorry. He's not just a billionaire. This guy is a Russian oligarch like, investing so much money into this American team. It feels a little... I don't like the way this feels now. Uh, and he, he, like, he makes Lawrence Stroll look like, you know... Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of A Christmas Carol. Uh, so <sighs> that's yeah, boy, that's a, that's another interesting uh, comparison where it's like Clash of the Rich Kids. There's you know there's a there are times I do get a weird vibe that Lawrence Stroll somehow did end up getting into F one. Like he, yeah, I think like, by accident. Yeah, maybe just to... <laughs> because he's a corporate like turnaround guy in some ways, and he's like, yeah, okay, Good I could crisis. I could run this business. Yeah, it's <laughs> I imagine it does seem like a a sweet challenge to engage in. Like if I had a you know billions to burn, running an F one team might be one of like that might be my dad garage project. Uh, well, it sounds ways. like a lot of the companies he's turned around are like pretty varied. Like it's not like yeah. he's you know he's fashion and every right. He's like. He's, he, you know, yeah. it seems to be that, yeah, so perhaps but, that's where you get your kicks from. But this is just, yeah, the the guy seems uh, like a creep. He's got a bad track record in lower forms of motorsport, lower tiers. Uh, so, yeah, I think 
the stage is set for Haas to have a like catastrophically awful driver relationship meltdown yeah. uh, last season, and and a, and a team principal who we know is not good at sorting those things out. No, and hard as he may try. No, he. Like he can curse a lot, but I've never gotten the sense that he's actually that forceful personality. Like no, I, not he's not somebody that the you know obviously that isn't that documentary is a made for TV entertainment product, but you do not get the sense that Gunther Steiner is somebody you have to take particularly seriously. He's a competent manager, but like not necessarily a forceful or effective one on that interpersonal level. Um, and I I just I look at this and I'm like. Usually contracts do have a um they have a window. Like I don't know how if one contracts generally operate, but usually contracts have a window. Uh sort of a second th- a codified like second thoughts uh window somewhere in there where you know the ink isn't dry and you can sort of walk away from the contract uh, at the last minute, particularly if there's been sort of some sort of breach of conduct uh that changes the picture in the meantime. Um, I would assume that agreements in F1 follow a similar template. I cannot believe that if there was an escape option uh, available here, they didn't exercise it because this just seems like the moment where sign Sergio and then try to make up the rest uh, later. Just do something. But yeah, it's next year is going to be bad at Haas, uh, probably on two levels. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, other futures are not yet sorted in the driver market. Uh, Alex Albon has not yet does not yet know whether he will be racing for Red Bull next year. Um, though Helmut Marco, um, the Red Bull driver program dude, and uh, Christian Horner, team principal of form or of uh, Red Bull, have both said that before Christmas is when they mm. will. Uh, release that news, make that decision, um, which may coincide, I guess, with the Alpha Tauri decision. Though the rumor is that that will happen <laughs> the day this podcast posts. So, oh really? So people uh, are talking about like Kafiat's go- goose is cooked. Um, yeah, he he has even said like I'm targeting 2022. Yeah, when you got a dude <laughs> talking about his comeback, that seems like he knows something that second comeback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so uh, like I don't know what his deal is. I do. I also felt like a few weeks ago, Albin seemed like he was pretty done as well. And I would have bet money that he was going to be shown the door. I'm less confident of that now. Like Red Bull mm. seemed to so effectively clamp down on discussion of driver futures that, for all I know, the decision didn't move. That they they still are basically just planning on showing that guy, you know, giving that guy the hook uh, soon. But he seemed to show some better form uh, in in recent weeks. I no longer know what's going to happen with that guy. Yeah, ditto. Yeah, Hamilton also has not signed his agreement yet. He also hopes to get that done before Christmas. I don't really know what the holdup is. I think he said he just didn't want to be distracted by driving. Who knows? Um, Speaking of new and young drivers, Danny. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Fernando Alonso, the newest young driver um, to, to join the sport after two years away, two seasons away. Fernando Alonso is returning to Formula One next year, lest we forget. Um, driving for, uh, well, I guess he won't be driving for Renault. He'll be driving for Alpine because Renault is right. uh, all but disappearing from the sport. Um, we somehow got used to AlphaTauri, so I guess we're going to have to get used to Alpine all over again, uh, or as well. Uh, yeah, but he, he, you know, there was a bit of controversy about him being involved in the young driver's test because obviously it's just a really? way of him Why? getting... Yeah, because he's ancient. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so are Sebastian Buemi. 
uh, <laughs> who is taking part in that test. Good point. Uh, Stoffel Van Dorn. Yes, it's around. historically been a place for, you know, younger drivers to get their feet wet um, with the way in which testing has been constricted so much in Formula One. Uh, and as Rob was alluding to earlier, the complexity of these automobiles, uh, it actually sort of works out better for them to, for them to use this to get Fernando in the car and get him used to uh, get him used to the, the specs and the way it runs and all that sort of stuff. And it turns out you can teach an old dog. I was hoping for a bark there. New tricks. Um, he was the fastest driver on track. Uh, this one from Autosport. Uh, double world champion Fernando Alonso topped the times of Formula One's young driver test in Abu Dhabi on Tuesday as he completed a full day of running at, uh, for Renault. My favorite paragraph from this news piece. During qualifying simulation run towards the end of the day, Alonso put in a lap of 1 minute 33 seconds 333, which was faster than both Renault drivers Esteban Ocon and Dan Ricciardo produced in qualifying. Oh <laughs> so, my god. So yeah, maybe Fernando still got it. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, the top five from that test, Fernando Alonso, second Nick DeVries, who won the Formula 2 yes. championship last year, uh, then Stoffel Van Dorn, fourth place, Robert Kubica. Woo. Another Kubica young upcoming watch. driver. Yes, right. Uh, and then Yuki Tsunoda. In, uh, in an Alpha Tauri. So, yeah, top three, yeah. Third place in F2. And also worth mentioning, Alonso drove around his, uh, his uh, V10 uh, Renault 25. Is that what it is? The, uh, the old um, uh, car he won the championship in. That was his championship winning car, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, back in the day, the yellow and red one, you often see the, uh, uh, the R25. The, you see him the, the screaming thumbnail picture. Um, uh, yeah. It was really cool. And it made me miss those cars because, oh my God, that sound. Um, if, if you've only seen... F1 cars in the modern hybrid era. It's worth going. I'll link it in the show notes. It's worth taking a look at this car going around this track because it just looks different. Um, even yeah. just oh, watching yeah. the, yes, onboard, the way they drive. Yeah. Like it's, it is so, and there's a shot. I'll see if I can find it um, uh, of a side by side with the modern Renault car and this old car sitting on the track next to each other. This car looks tiny. Or the other one, the modern one, looks gigantic in comparison. Yeah. And on the onboard, it's just like you don't even... I don't know really what I'm looking at when I'm watching an onboard. Just like, well, it just seems like he's going fast. Uh, it just looks different. You can tell like the car kind of hops around corners and it's just nimble and it turns. And the God, the sound of the engine is just... Again, I, I wasn't watching Formula One back then, but it's just... It seems like it's so much angrier and like powerful so and i remember when when the v8s came in people were like oh my god they don't sound like the v10s anymore but i had i I was at abu dhabi when there were v8s and i've heard the v6 turbos obviously since as well and the v8s were like when i when i think about those in comparison to why the cars are now even those are crazy loud but the v10s were on a whole other level They, they have a um set of videos on the uh, F1 YouTube channel where they've been going back and doing team radio from classic races. They've done a bunch of them this season. Um, and those are really cool to watch because you get a lot of onboard from those old cars. And some of them are pretty old. Some of the some of the videos are like from 30 years ago. Um, and it gives you a real sense of just how diff- different, you know, not just the speed of the cars, but the way in which they drive, like you said, is, uh, is so different. The way they corner, um, mm-hmm. how much drifting they don't do anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't, yeah, I, I think there is that. But also, these cars cornering, the current cars, like, look wild in the corner as well. The way, mm. like, the way they... 
I guess to me, the thing that always sort of stuns me about them is just the sheer amount of weight being transferred without the car slipping. Mm-hmm. Um, where those things always, always look a little bit like they almost sidestep through corners. Um, the rate, tr- the weight transfer is so smooth. Like I enjoyed. Look, I'm always here for V10, uh, F like <laughs> F1 footage, and uh, that era was great. Like there was nothing like the sound of an entire grid of those things uh, firing up, and like that's that swarm noise of the entire yeah. field going through was just. Uh, like that to me still is the sound of F1. Uh, and it's, you know, it's it, it, the hybrids are a little bit of a pale imitation. Uh, it's gotten better since on the broadcast, they mic them a little better. So you, yeah. you get more of a sense of the power, but um, it's still not like what the V10 sounded like. But at the same time, I, I guess for me, I'm, I'm with you, Drew. Like I don't fully see where the major differences are. Like when I'm watching the, like, I'm sure if I put them, ran them side by side, I would see it. But to me, like modern F one one cars are still exciting. I saw a lot of I saw a lot of people sharing this video and being like, "Man, that's what F one should be." And I'm like, "Man, it's a fast lap. A fast lap is a fast lap. <laughs> like, it, it, like I, I don't really care about what's powering it. Um, I didn't emotionally connect with that video on a level of thinking, mm. yeah, mm. that's when Formula One cars are real cars. It's that's just not how I how I see the sport. I think for me, it just always comes down to, uh. Like I would try, I would run any spec, any power unit, any regulations, if we had uh, better overtaking and mm-hmm. maybe allowed a greater diversity of course layout. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the most critical piece here. Uh, the thing I liked about the video is that I just and this is one of the reasons I like MotoGP is that you get a sense more of what the driver is having to contend with on a, on a, on a force level, I think Um, like it slips around a little more. You see him make more corrections. Whereas the modern cars, because they are such marvels of engineering, they do look like they're on rails a lot of the time. And you're right. Like the shots from the back of the modern cars where they're loaded through a corner are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, as a viewer, I think I like going head to head in one of those little cars, I think would illuminate a little more about the skill of a driver i don't know i could be totally wrong but like as a viewer that seemed to come through a little more so we should um we should probably get to speaking of blasts from the past i suppose we should talk about the current state of ferrari uh, a, yes. a little bit. Uh, we're talking about Alonzo, who had a famously rough stint there. Seb is apparently literally singing his swan song uh, at, <laughs> at at the team. Uh, also uh, singing their song team swan song is uh, Louis Camilleri, who was the head of Ferrari uh, appointed by uh, El- Elcan, and he was sort of an intermediate. An, Intermediate step uh, to basically make up for the sudden loss of Sergio Marchione, who was intended to run the brand. But he abruptly announced that he's stepping down uh, from his role with Ferrari. And so Ferrari is now and I'm going to talk about the I'm not talking about just the racing operations uh, side. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about like the entire car company. And Ferrari's weird in that. Like a manufacturer like Renault. Formula One is still kind of a weird side project outpost uh, for for the entire organization. Ferrari, Formula One is a significant part of their business. Uh, they make money off Formula One. They view that as a profit center uh, in a way that most operations do not. Um, and 
it also, you know, and, and Dieter Rankin laid this out really well, also bolsters the Ferrari brand and Ferraris sell for massive profit margins. Um, just mm. like there's almost no other car manufacturer you can point to that gets as much profit out of moving a single car as Ferrari does. Um, Luxury. Yeah. Uh, but even the, even by those standards, like I think mm. uh, Rankin pointed out that like BMW has to sell 35 BMWs to get the cash profit that Ferrari gets from moving a single car. Wow. Um, so like that's like BMW is, you know, it's a high end brand, but that is still a mass car manufacturer. It's not, it's not like a luxury brand the way Ferrari is where it's almost like a fashion label uh, yeah. in, in some ways. So this is a major change to have hit the company. Um it's no surprise that, like, basically across the board, it seems like Ferrari has been uh, treading water a little bit. The F1, the F1 project is kind of nowhere. Um, this further strands uh, Bonato in no man's land. We've we've had multiple stories this year about how they are in the process of trying to reorganize uh, the entire team and rearrange portfolios to figure out who is going to be responsible for what. Uh, Bonato is handing off a lot of his responsibilities, but uh, Camilleri was kind of his, it might be an overstatement to call him his patron because really his patron is probably um, Marchione in, in, in some ways. Uh, but Camilleri was certainly one who was going to stick with the, uh, the, the plans that Marchione laid out. And now he's gone. Ferrari's results have been bad. So where does that leave Bonato uh, in in the near future? Um, the other thing, and I, Rankin pointed this out, and I didn't realize that there was this that there was this interesting context around Ferrari at this moment. Um, so Elcan is in the process of merging uh, Ferrari with Peugeot, Citroen, and Opel, uh, which are wow. pretty massive auto manufacturing brands, uh, and Ferrari is already part of that Fiat Chrysler. Uh, group, and so if that merger goes through, Elcan ends up being uh, in charge of the world's fourth largest automaker, and so it's not like you have the luxury of like this is not a good time to be improvising a pick of your new head of Ferrari. Uh, I'm not sure what the structure of that merger is going to be, but it seems like whoever you want you you put into this role they're going to have a pretty major role with this sort of new conglomerate uh you're creating as you put all these brands under under uh ferrari uh under under fiat chrysler so it's it's a very messy time uh for for the team and the corporate politics of it are really interesting and then it further throws a hand grenade into the middle of ferrari's disarray by the way uh this is probably not entirely a verdict on Camilleri. Um, Camilleri is not a car guy. Uh, he was a, actually a tobacco guy and <laughs> was basically put in there because he, you know, threw, he had a winnow. <laughs> yeah. Through <laughs> Philip Morris and worked pretty closely with Ferrari, uh, seemed like a, a decent hand to put in there. But apparently, uh, Camilleri like had a rough year and actually had a pretty serious bout with COVID, during all this, all right. and so he simultaneously he simultaneously stepped away from like all his corporate responsibilities because mm-hmm. um, he was still on other boards, and he is a guy who seems to have abruptly decided he's just done and is retiring. So it's I, I think there's also there's a combination of. 
things were not going well for him. And then he did have one of those like classic, your life flashes before your eyes situations. And he's just done. Uh, well, I'm almost done too. <laughs> Do- Doggy's had enough of F1 this, this year. Like, uh, in other corporate news, uh, which everyone loves, McLaren has sold a, a, a large stake, 33% by 2022, to an American consortium. Uh, Zach Brown, their CEO, of course, is American. Um, but this would mean, basically, I think it means that it's a fundraising round, basically. They're getting a cash influx um, just before, I probably when they're ramping up for 2022 production. Um and next year, can't forget, they're switching to Mercedes engines. So this, to me, seems like a re- they're really fighting for uh, being at the front of the field. So um, that's not the only big corporate moves happening this week, Danny. No, it's not. For fans of video games, uh, and perhaps more appropriately for this podcast, for fans of Formula One video games, uh, the creators of the, uh, frankly, I th- I, th- I really think they're terrific, uh, Formula One official games, uh, Codemasters, have been acquired wholly, uh, no th- uh, 33% over there, um, they have been bought by Electronic Arts, who you may remember if you're an F1 video game fan. Uh, as the person who made F1 games before Codemasters did, and a lot of them weren't very good. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, Codemasters is sort of the latest in a bunch of studios uh, which have been purchased by EA. EA don't have the best track record when it comes to this. Um, they in, Even in terms of uh, driving studios, they uh, famously shot Studio Liverpool, who made a bunch of really good, great games, including a Whitebait series. Uh, Criterion was bought by EA in 2004. Uh, Ghost Games was bought by them. They're now called EA Gothenburg. They make some racing stuff. Um, but EA has been out of the racing game world for a little bit. Need for Speed has coughed and spluttered a bunch. And Codemasters was basically the last big third-party racing game uh, developer, uh, which is crazy considering uh, they weren't really a racing game studio when they were founded 36 years ago in 1986 um, or 34 years ago. Sorry, it was the year I was born. I think I'd remember that. Um, they haven't made a non-racing game in quite a while. In 2005, I think they made a sequel to Overlord, but it's been about 10 years. They've been basically just making racing games. They made Dirt, that um, an F1 uh, Flashpoint. Uh, yes, game. they made Operation, Operation Flashpoint. Dragon. Red, yeah, Red and that Dragon. Was it. Yeah, but they that were was, like pack it in. That was 2011, I think. Uh, it was and a long that time was, ago. That was when they were like, anything non-racing, get it off our books. We're, yeah, we're they done. did the Overlord game, but that, essentially that was it, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a shame. Like, Dirt Rally's really good. F1's really good. We'll have to see. Obviously, a thousand people or so, I think, are employed by them. Um, the F1 games have been really uh, popular. We'll have to see how this changes in the future. Uh, but yeah, best of luck to everyone at Cody's. I hope it, uh, it uh, adds more maybe money for the F1 games and perhaps not as many trading cards. But I'll, I'll be honest, if they added some Ultimate Team stuff into F1, I'd probably spend a lot of money on it. But there you go. We'll have to wait and see. I will just say um, I'm a little worried about it just because EA is not probably going to a lot. Like EA, the scale they operate at, do not need to run that many car games, right? Mm-hmm. So I do have a little bit of a concern. Like the F1 series will continue because it's a sport. Uh, but I am I'm a little concerned that a lot of these development assets end up being used to churn out more Need for Speeds. Uh, that certainly your dirt rallies get a lot harder to work through the system. Uh, the upshot is Codemasters recently bought Slightly Mad. 
That's a great racing studio uh, that that has yeah, some cars. background with uh, EA. They made the Need for Speed Shift uh, series. So mm. who knows? Maybe it loops back around or they bail on Project Cars and go back to making Shift, which is basically Project Cars in a lot of ways. Uh, that was good. But I'm, yeah, um, I think Codemasters was a net positive for uh, racing fans. I'm not sure EA is as much. Uh, the last section here, uh, we have... Um or the next one, uh, the look back at the 2020 season. You want to move that to the end here? Sure. You can get, uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's uh, get some quick fantasy standings in here to round okay. out the very end of the year. The final race in Abu Dhabi, <gasps> third place in our fantasy league from America. <clears throat> from America. Stop. <laughs> Party mode. Uh, from Poland. I'm not really good with team names. Uh, and from the UK, and since it's from the UK, I'm going to pronounce this Beister F1. It's spelled by 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 sister. Okay, yeah, sister. But overall, in the whole the whole season, could you do top ten? Top ten. Um, yes. Here we go. In tenth place from America. Two seconds, Ted. <laughs> in ninth place from uh america we have honey badger and there's a theme here from the u.s uh honey badger's tattoo shop in seventh place from the u.s lando nando in sixth place from canada planes weekly in fifth place from canada daddy stroll in fourth place from <laughs> little old ireland hey i am speed ever a car good man uh from um the uk in number three spot here we go the podium number three das ist kein problem that is your problem uh or that is not a problem okay i believe in german uh number two from the u.s black lives matter and number one from canada <laughs> pierre gas leak and i'd just like to everyone. say that uh my my top team finished in 1000th place wow i'm, I'm not gonna look at mine because i'm <laughs> sure it's not even that good uh yeah thanks everyone for joining that was uh it was a lot of fun let's do emails let's do emails let's do it uh, a couple of these i've kept for a while uh we have one each gentlemen so let's get through them uh this one comes from Aaron. uh it's about clockwise versus anti-clockwise circuits hi danny drew and rob i'm a new f1 fan and i've mentioned uh what i'm hoping you'll address on the podcast uh why are some circuits clockwise and some anti-clockwise i would have guessed the track direction would have been the same is there a significant difference for the drivers i think the turns would all be the opposite direction on an anti-clockwise track but if i think about it too hard my head spins so i did a bunch of research on this because i was also interested there's no like definitive answer as to why european tracks have sort of been in one direction and american stuff because a lot of indian nascar goes uh goes anti-clockwise um apparently 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 this goes back to like horse racing when american oh <laughs> uh horse racing like federation decided that they would do a big up yours to the way it was done in europe and go left which I guess also might be connected somewhat to the where drive people drive on the side of the road thing. Oh my god! Obviously, that's different in the UK than it is to the rest of Europe. Uh-huh. Um, but the traditional way was always clockwise in Europe. And then the reason why there's some anti-clockwise ones is because uh, tracks were trying to differentiate themselves, basically. And that's why there's some that do this way and that way and whatever. But apparently, yeah, traditionally, it goes as far back as horse racing. But the actual answer, we, we perhaps aren't... Uh, 
aren't so sure of. Um, Drew, you want to take this one? Yeah, it's but I yeah, it's it's good that they are different because if you just had one direction, then the cars could kind of be designed in that way. But now they have to account for for both. You know, there's a a subtext where I think Aaron is already thinking about it too hard. By the way, it's because because like ultimately, like I think the only difference is what is the predominant direction of the court the course going to be but like a lot of these courses are laid out cleverly enough that it feels like there's a good mix of left and right turns so like you don't really i don't think on most tracks you have a particularly strong feeling of like oh this is clockwise versus anti-clockwise um yeah. so yeah thank, thank god here was the only one where it really i kind of thought about it because there were so few left turns uh but yeah you're right it's not that not that big a deal i don't think uh this next one comes from scott more fun with sponsors, says Scott. Here we go. I'm just going to read this verbatim. <clears throat> Scott says, AlphaTauri reminded me of one of my favorite type of sponsor, the Trojan Horse Sponsorship, where a company will appear to promote one product to sneak in promotion of a different true product. In a number of countries, it is illegal to advertise alcoholic products. Bahrain is one such country where public consumption of alcohol is also illegal. We see companies like Estrella Gaisa, Gai- Hmm, Gaisia and Heineken. Sorry? Never mind. Okay. <laughs> and Heineken um <clears throat> and Heineken sidestep <laughs> I'm just gonna mark this. And Heineken <laughs> sidestep these restrictions by promoting their non alcoholic beers like Estrella Gaisa. and Heineken 0.0. They highlight the only product that is legal to promote while still advertising their company that makes all the other alcoholic products. But those 0.0 beers are both real products. What do you do if you still want to promote your alcohol but not put in the effort of actually making a non-alcoholic version? Enter AlphaTauri sponsor Moosecraft Hot Dogs. What is Moosecraft Hot Dogs? Currently, since its introduction in 2019, it is nothing more than a few trademark filings and PR announcements. It is a non-product by the makers of Moosecraft Cider, a Thai-made hard cider with 5% alcohol. We've seen the Moosecraft Cider branding before in F1 on the Toro Rosso, but in 2019, Moose trademarked the Moosecraft Hot Dogs brand. With a nearly identical logo, they can continue to promote their Moose brand, even in countries that don't allow alcohol advertising. Moosecraft hot dogs are the Trojan horse to promote Moosecraft cider. Uh, after a race like that, I just want to grab a Moosecraft hot dog and a can of rich energy and head down to DP World. Love the show. Really appreciate <laughs> listening to you throughout the season. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Scott. I hadn't noticed that one. That's pretty good. I've been wondering about that Moosecraft thing uh, for a bit. Oh, so yeah. That's perfect. I miss the old uh, BAR team uh, Lucky Strike logo that they had to change because oh, yeah. they had, they, you know, the iconic Lucky Strike orange circle. Um, they designed their livery around that right around the time blanket tobacco ad bands hit <laughs> all over F1. So that's why there's a number of races where, like, you'd have the, instead of being Lucky Strike, they would just sort of put random shit uh over the logo and it's actually pretty cool that car looked great but it still um, like basically looked like a lucky strike car yeah yeah that's cool um, it was cool as hell uh this one comes from brendan uh hey speedy boys now that we're at the end of a 17 race season with several teams third power units seemingly right at the borderline of their lives and the specter of a much longer season maybe seven or eight more races 
Well, that put put in a place where teams will need to be allowed more than three PUs in a season. Thanks for everything you do. My first year of F1 fandom has been very fun, and you guys are a big part of that. Brendan, Keyport, New Jersey. Well, in essence, they already are, right? Like, this is this is why I think this regulation has kind of failed, and I'm not sure there's rules in place mm-hmm. to give it more teeth. Everyone just pays the penalty. Like, people are... Not they are not getting to the end of the season with their allotment of power unit uh, parts. They are just eating the penalties uh, they take as they swap stuff out as these things as these things fail. Uh, so so to an extent, we're going to see what we've seen in previous years where you have those comical races where like a third of the field are cycling in new parts for their cars and just taking the penalty uh, positions and moving to the back of the grid. So in terms of uh, the the goal of this, which was, I think, sort of controlling costs and getting F1 to a point where we maybe weren't burning through engines uh, quite so aggressively, that hasn't really happened. People just people just eat the inconvenience of uh, replacing parts. Yeah, 2022 will be the year where all the engines start dying early. <laughs> Uh, well, that is the 2020 season, everyone. You can hit us up at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails or on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. Uh, that's us for the season. We have one race around the world, Danny. One race around the world. And it is Super Formula at the Fuji nice. Speedway uh, in Oyamacho, Suntogun. Shizuoka Ken, which is the prefecture. Okay, thank you. I was wondering uh, yes. which one of those. We will also the have uh, a giant post on the website, and we will uh, put that on Twitter as well. That's sort of like here's what to watch in the off season. I love to put awesome. that together because I always get the the, the shakes. Yeah, um, fair play. But that's cool. That's what's going coming up uh, in the off season. But let's take a back a look back at the season that was. Danny, you've compiled a a bunch of stuff here. Yeah, I compiled it because I wasn't sure if we'd we'd have a, a bit of time to sort of chew it out. But I think even just to talk about it quick uh, as a as a reminder of the year that we had that was in it, I think there'll probably be a lot of you know posts and videos over the off season, sort of talking about how bizarre this whole year was. But I just wanted to I, I cast my mind back and took some points down just to remind us of of just how strange it was the journey we've all sort of been on together and um, i guess it all started in melbourne when that race was going to go ahead we were in melbourne when it cancelled do you remember we were like the trucks were there people were there and it just seemed like maybe it won't go ahead we chase carry doing the little press conference do you remember where people were kind of just starting to so maybe weird. wear a mask or something um feels like a lifetime ago now but we almost had that first race uh, and then there was months of Twitch streams, uh, be it fun ones like the the F1 crew, the four young lads who were, you know, Charles Leclerc dressing up as a banana and Lando Norris um, shaving his hair and, and George Russell killing everyone, basically being the best driver on Twitch. Um, <laughs> and then we had, of course, Indy and all those uh, crazy online only uh, races, which sort of kept us entertained during those early months of lockdown. And a great article from Rob about... <laughs> Norris getting taken out by Pagano. Oh, so good. Oh my god. That's still might have been my favorite sequence of races the entire year. Like just racing drama, good racing. Like the IndyCar <laughs> iRacing shit might still be my high watermark for for this year, the exception of Istanbul, but we'll get to that. Who is the guy who uh because Pagano was the one who caught 
But who is the one who who crashed over the line? Your man, oh, the oh, jerk little shithead. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, Ferrucci. Brat. Yeah, Ferrucci. Ferru- yeah, oh yeah. my Ferrucci god. Did, yeah. yeah. God, what an insufferable. God, him and Mazabin should marry each other. Um, black. If yeah, but they're probably both homophobes as well. Who knows? Uh, black Lives Matter, of course, became like it just like the entire first half of that year. With, there was so much going on in that in a way I wonder if we're just sort of we've entered a sort of a phase of um you know being overwrought by so much of this stuff I, I suspect 2021 we're going to be uh dealing with a lot of this again um uh as we sort of uh people get re-energized politically as well but obviously Black Lives Matter the the massive amount of uh protests over the death of so many um African Americans uh, at the hands of police over here uh you know became a talking point in F1 of course due in large part to the efforts of uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, we races one we had those early controversies with who was you know wearing what t-shirt and who was bend, bending the knee and and all that um which sort of definitely seem, seemed to you know disappear into the background for a lot of the reporting and broadcasting over the rest of the year it was never resolved um, yeah no yeah. not at all and we'll have to see what happens next year too i think it'll be you know whether or not f1 wants to sort of shuffle off to the side um something tells me lewis hamilton is unfortunately going to be sort of the the, the one who ends up having to talk some sense and some people are, are, are advocate in that respect. Um, but the the big thing about this season was the tracks, where we went and when we went. It was such a weird lineup of tracks, new tracks, uh, tracks got cancelled. Um, in terms of new races, we, we had the Algarve circuit, we had uh, Sakir's strange configuration. We also had returning favourites like Mugello, Imola, Nürburgring, uh, Istanbul, some places that were sort of forgotten to time or never got the never got the the personnel, the, the spectators. Didn't really matter anymore because there were no spectators for most of these races. Uh, we had the double headers in Barcelona, Austria, Great Britain, in uh, Bahrain, of course, most recently. Uh, and then we had uh, the cancel tracks, which w- is fun to go back and think of all the races we didn't have this year because there was loads. We didn't have Melbourne, of course. We didn't have Vietnam. We may never have Vietnam. <laughs> it's true. Um, China. We didn't get Zandvoort's return. Uh, we got loads of other European tracks returning, but not Zandvoort. We had no Monaco. An F1 didn't season without a Monaco. Monaco. Yeah, wild. Uh No Baku. And none of the uh, Americas races. Uh, Canada, USA, Mexico, Brazil. Oh, Paul Ricard. That's too bad. I know, right? The, the one saving yeah. grace is we didn't have to go to uh, Bernie Eccleston's um, other track. Uh, but Singapore, Japan, and Brazil, those would have, those have been good. Yeah, it was a shame not to be at uh, Marina Bay. Um, but we got two night races this year regardless because we went to Bahrain twice. That's true. Um, and of course, Japan is the only racetrack on the circuit, on the calendar that's in a prefecture. So near and dear <laughs> to my heart. Um, we had two uh, new race winners in uh Sergio Perez so most cool. recently and the incredible drive um, around Monza for Pierre Gasly which was one of the highlights of the season for sure uh, we'd Lando Norris on pole we'd Vettel on pole we'd Max Verstappen finally winning a race um, at the end Hang of the on. season Lando was on pole? you mean Stroll? sorry sorry Lance, Lance yeah not Lance I always get that right Lance Stroll <laughs> I say Lance, Lance Stroll Lance and Lando yeah, yeah. all year I've gotten Stroll and Lando mixed up and Vettel got a podium of, Yes, sorry. Yeah, Vettel, yeah, Vettel got a podium. He didn't win a race. Um, but it had been a while since he was up there too. 
Uh, we had the longest, protractest, weirdest, silly season. It seemed to just... Well, it happened yeah. and then it disappeared and then it happened again. Um, we had temporary replacements with Nico Hulkenberg coming back. back Fittipaldi and Schumacher. George Russell stepping into the Mercedes and then almost winning. Um, uh, tragically, in many ways. But we did get Sergio getting a win as a result of that. So it's hard to uh, be too sad about it. A massive shake-up in the field for next year. Um you know, Vettel leaving Ferrari, of course, uh, and, and so many more. Um, and then at the end of the season, perhaps the most important thing that happened was that we, uh, Roman Grosjean, got out of that car. You know, that yeah. was a massive shock for everyone watching it. I, I don't think it's gotten any less shocking or it feels any less lucky. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, I think a, a monument to the work of people like Charlie Whiting and Sid Watkins um and Nikki Lauda, you know, all people who we have enjoyed in F1 over the past couple of years, who sadly did not get to enjoy all of this season. Um, some of them didn't obviously uh, see any of it. Um, so, or, or I guess did all of them, all three of them actually. Now I think about it. When, when did Nikki pass? Was it was that was that this year? Or was it was last that, year, wasn't it? Last it was year. last year, was it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So standing on the shoulders of giants as ever. Um, next year should be interesting, but. Probably won't be as interesting as this year, you know. Sport, sport is sport is nothing but a a stage through which human drama plays out, and you know the pandemic has obviously been atrocious for people around the world. Um, it's certainly made for a very bizarre sporting uh, season in a year where we probably needed it more than most. Yeah, um, boy, uh, it has been a weird one, but I have uh, really enjoyed, you know getting through it all with you guys um yes. my co-hosts uh as well as uh you know all the listeners especially the folks on discord and on twitter and everyone writing in the emails and stuff it's been um it's been really really cool to sort of have that uh that anchor there um that that reliable source of community uh so that's that's been really cool i think that's probably my highlight uh of the year yeah uh here, final here. thoughts uh, from you rob yeah, uh, I was happy to get any F1 at all. There was a long period there where it looked very iffy. Um, I enjoyed the season we got. Um, I The injection of that bit of normality was really welcome. Uh, those first those races at Austria where it started to sink in, like, we're actually going to pull this off. This is actually going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, was, was really cool. Um, I think we're in a very we're set up for a very interesting period in F1. I think the next few seasons are going to be really turbulent. Um, and I can't wait. Yeah. Danny, final thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, I echo Rob's sentiments that, you know, there was a time where I was for a long while there saying, well, we're not going to get any races this year. And I was never so happy to be proven, uh, catastrophically wrong. Um, it was nice to have that injection of normality for sure. It was nice to have to look forward to the weekends in a time where weekends seemed to disappear. You know, it was hard to make heads or tails of what any day was during quarantine, especially. Um, and yeah, like you said, I, I really value both of your guys' friendship and uh, it's been a blast uh, being able to enjoy this season with friends and with everyone who listens uh, to the podcast. It's uh Yeah. It was it was really good, you know. Twenty, tw- tw- I was talking to my wife about this a couple of days ago. I was saying twenty twenty is like has been an awful year in many ways, but in lots of ways it's been very special because it's sort of like forced you to take stock of the things that really matter and the 
things you might have taken granted for before. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly appreciate a lot of things more next year as a result of it. Well said. Uh, we will be back um, in January with uh, we usually do an off-season news update. Uh, and then I think testing starts in February, so <laughs> it's not too yeah, long we're not until taking we much get of a break. more cars on track. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, uh, one of which, again, is coming out uh, this month, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time. Ho, ho, ho. Meow.